The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, for which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong suffering. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." Let us pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you speak to us through, through your scriptures. And, and through this scripture in particular, we, I pray for Randall as he comes up to, to share the message that you've given him and, uh, and, and us too as a congregation, as a body, Lord, that we listen, not just to listen to what's the application, but Lord, um, how do we encounter you? How do we know you? How do we see and perceive your truth and understand you and love you and uh, in terms of your mercy and your goodness and your gospel. Lord, we, we love you, we need you, and we seek you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Trevor. All right, good morning. If this is your first time here. My name is Randall. Uh, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. Um, one of the things that I wanted to share at the very beginning here as we, we jump back into the book of Hebrews, we started it last week and we're going to continue in Hebrews 2 today. Um, but the reason why we go through books of the Bible like this, I just wanted to explain. It's because many ways that's how you read the Bible, right? You read it text by text. And 
So when we break down scriptures, I hope that this is a time where you are able to be helped in reading through the Bible. See, we, one of the things that we were challenged with last week at the men's retreat is that as men, we would be feeding on God's word. Right? Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so either Jesus was just saying that because it sounded nice, or he was saying something spiritually that we all need, that we need the word of God. And so my hope as we go through the book of Hebrews this summer, and we started in the book of Genesis uh, this past year, is that as we read through the scriptures, it's not just on a Sunday morning, but this is an encouragement and a challenge for you to dive into God's word. And like Trevor said, we have Bibles for you. We want to equip you with that, but really diving in. And so uh, this summer we're going through the book of Hebrews. And this is an overview in many ways. And so today our text is Hebrews 2, 5 through 18. And what we talked about with, with the book of Hebrews is that it is all about Jesus. Right, as we've been looking at the book of Genesis and really all of Scripture, it's all about Jesus. And so for us today, as we learn through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see some Old Testament references. But again, they are pulled into the life of Jesus and who he is. And so my hope is that we understand who Jesus is. And last week, we talked about how Jesus is over everything. Jesus is all-powerful. He's not just some uh, nice teacher, philosopher, but he is God over all things. And so this week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is our help. Jesus, our help. So the question I want to start with this morning is this. Does God care about me? Does God care about me? See, at some level... I'm guessing that all of us have asked that question. It's the reason why some of us are here this morning. Could God care about me? Last week, Amber Scora wrote an article in the New York Times entitled, Surviving the Death of My Son After, after the Death of My Faith. And here's what she says. She said, several years after leaving my religion, Jehovah's Witness, I felt sure I had encountered all the situations I might possibly need to get used to in my new life. What I had not prepared myself for was death. Grief without faith. Which is to say death without hope. I left my religion behind. I, I moved to New York and built a new life. I found ways to earn money. I had relationships. I wrestled with my spirituality Mourning, in a sense, the loss of peace of mind faith had given me. My son was almost four months old when he stopped breathing at daycare. It was his first day there, the first time I had left his side. Neither the doctors nor investigators could tell us why it happened. Thus, he became a story in a newspaper, big black letters in the New York Post. What I had not anticipated about the cost of losing my faith was that I would no longer be, it would no longer be possible to deceive myself. I could no longer make a pact with any higher being. No hours of service could convince a God that I deserved to, to have this child again. Whatever I had done to deserve him once, I was not worthy of him twice. I'm not saying there is no God, but I am saying no God would do this to someone. You see, I appreciate this article because it was very honest. It was very honest with where she was at and, and how she felt about her 
loss of faith and relationship with God. Because the thing is that, that she followed it all the way through to the point where she said, I never anticipated death. The idea of death. Could I get through life with other areas of my life? Sure. But, but to face death is something that she had wrestled with and really couldn't get settled down into her heart. See, the thing about Amber Scora is that more and more I see her out there doing interviews. She wrote a book. People are interested in our culture about faith because as we have pushed God to the side, one of the things that we've had to ask is real questions like this. Okay, could God, if there is a God, care about me and what I'm going through? It's very relevant for many of us today. As we read this story, we think of many more who've suffered through tragedy. And we, we've got to ask this. Okay, if God cares, if God out there cares about me, how do I know he cares? See, these questions are relevant for us today. And they were relevant for the people in the book of Hebrews. As we talked about last week, the, the Christians in this letter are most likely urban Christians, city-dwelling Christians living in a very pluralistic society. There are many beliefs in different gods and goddesses and, and, and all of those things. So all around them, they were surrounded with people who believed different things than they did. And they were faced with immense persecution and suffering for their belief that Jesus could be the Son of God. That Jesus really is who he said he is. And so they were tempted to push their own faith that Jesus is God to the side and just start to assimilate to the culture. Maybe Jesus is just like every other God out there and so I don't really need to share about who he is and what he's done and, and, and it starts to just kind of fade in their life. But the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, who, who we said we don't know particularly who wrote this book, encourages them to keep pressing on. And so in chapter 1 last week, he said that Jesus is above all things, a very high view of Jesus, right? But this week, we get this, this other side to Jesus. He says that, you know, Jesus, he, he holds everything together. He, he holds everything together by the power of his word. But today, we get this shift that happens because there's so much more to Jesus than just that. Commentator George Guthrie says, Thus far in Hebrews, the author has maintained a persistent focus on the exalted status of the Son of God. In 2, 5 through 9, however, the, the focus shifts to his incarnation. A passage crafted specifically to move the discussion from the Son's heavenly position to his earthly ministry. Here's the thing about Christianity. We don't just believe that there was just God out there creating, sustaining, providing. But what we believe is that God came to us. God came near. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. And so our text is Hebrews 2, 5 through 18. And today we get this down-to-earth picture of Jesus. And seeing this picture will help us to know that God really does care. And so how does the author do this? 
Well, the author starts by introducing a psalm. It's a psalm of David in verse 6. It was Psalm 8, verse 4. And so he, he reiterates. So he takes from the Old Testament, puts it in here, and here's what he says. He says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. Right? This is a different question. It's this idea of, of instead of just believing that, okay, God, you, you, you need to care about me. You need to, to, to know every detail of my life, and you need to help me in every way. It's a different way of asking. Instead, he's saying this. This question is, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. What the, the David is, is asking is he's saying, like, Okay, God, like looking over all of your creation, looking over all that you've done, looking at your almighty power and, and your holiness, how could you care about me? How could you look at my life and, and, and know the details in my life and actually care about me? Derek Kidner says this about this verse. He says, that from stars to sea creatures, only man can look at this with the insight to ask a question, even in doubt, right? Like even in doubt, like some of you are doubt, like, okay. <laughs> David's question can be asked in many nuances. It mocks the arrogance of the rebel. The one just shaking their fist at God, right? Like you, you have to care about me. Why, why am I going through this? It is a sufferer's plea. Many of us have been there too. Just in suffering, just saying, God, could you care about me? It shudders at human sin, the thought that a holy God could love me. Right? There's so many nuances to this question, and that's where today's text starts in Hebrews. And so how does this take us from this lofty view of Jesus to a down-to-earth Jesus that could care about you and me? Well, it shows us three aspects of who he is. And I'm going to give you all three up front if you're taking notes today. And so the first one is this. It's all from the text. Number one, a humble king, a fearless captain, better sibling. Humble king, fearless captain, sorry, protective brother. So the first one, humble king. Look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we start with verse 9, and at the very beginning, here's what it says. Look at look what it says. It says, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. So back in verse 6, it talks a little bit about how in the state that we are in, we are made a little lower than the angels. And so then it turns to Jesus and it, it says that Jesus, namely Jesus, put himself into a position where he became a little lower than the angels. Now what's the author saying here? Well, first is this. He says, we see him. We see him. Uh, the word for see in the original language is the word blepo. It means to discern mentally to know by experience. 
And so for some of us today, we say, well, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth. I wasn't there to see the miracles. I wasn't there to see Jesus go to the cross. But the writer is pointing us first to our mind's eye and saying, would you think on this? Would you see for just a moment what Jesus has done? That Jesus is not a fictitious character or an idea, but a historical reality. And that Jesus being a historical reality is what changed the world. This past week, my friend Oliver sent me a, a video. It was, it was of a man uh, who was a Christian rapper. He was uh, talking with his friend who was an atheist. And he was, just, he was going back to Jesus again and again and again. And he's saying, what do you think about Jesus? What, what do you think about Jesus? He said, because Jesus was a, a historical figure. So you've got to make a decision about Jesus. He keeps coming back to Jesus again and again. See, what we find out is that this is so important to know that Jesus isn't just a fictitious idea, character, but he's a historical reality. So historical, he got so close that this, it says John 1.14, this is the message version, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That close. That close. That, that, that God, the word, again, the universe is held by his power, by his word, comes so close that he moves into the neighborhood, becomes flesh and blood. He says, for a little while was made lower. See, what he's saying here is that this, this little while, that, that little phrase right there, little while, is telling us that we, there was a, a time within history where God became man. Like, don't just breeze over that. Don't just slip by it. This is so important. And so, during that little stretch of time when God became man, what happened? Well, how did he come to us? I want us to think about a baby for a second. Because that's what the scripture tells us. It says that he came as a baby. Now, you can't get any more vulnerable than a baby. You can't get any closer than a baby. You can't be any more powerless than a baby. Right? I've had three kids. was there for their birth every time. And just knowing that if, like, they don't give you this instruction manual. Right? Like, here, here you go. Here, here's your instruction manual of how to be a dad now. Right? Like, go ahead. You learn from experience. And I am telling you, we were close. Right, like we were close. Me and, and my son and my daughters, we were close, physically close, because they were so vulnerable. They needed the attention. They needed that. And, and, and to know that God came that close. It says Jesus was born as a baby in Luke 2, 7. It says he grew tired, John 4, 6. He got thirsty, John 19, 28. Hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He became physically weak, Matthew 4, 11. He tasted death, Luke 23, 46. It says this, that he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Right, the thought that God died that God was willing to put himself in this position. See, it says he was crowned. Why is he crowned? Because he's a king. 
God is a king. Jesus is a king. Why did he suffer? Because he's a humble king. He's a humble king. He's so humble that he was willing to come close to you and me, messy, sinful people. And when we start to think on that, it starts to change our view of who God is. See, what does it mean? Did he do it because we deserved it? Is it because we had the right to know that, God, you got to care about me? No. Verse 9 tells us, it says, this was all possible by the grace of God. You see that in verse 9? If you're taking, underline that. I just put a big, like, highlighter around that. By the grace of God. How does God come near to me? Totally by grace. Not because I worked my way to him. See, it's when you see Jesus, you see grace. This grace tells us something about God today. It tells us that God is not the man upstairs saying, get your act together. Obey me because here's what I said. No, he's the God who comes down to sinful, messy humanity with grace. And, and here's the thing. When we start to see that, right, like when we start to see it in our mind's eye, just as the writer is saying, he says, would you see this? Would you think on this? When we start to see this, we'll start to see that he is a humble king who lowers himself to care about us, right? Like he leaves his throne to come down to you and me. And it starts to change our hearts. But secondly, he's not only the humble king, but it says that he is the fearless captain. Uh, Look at verse 10, starting starting there in verses 14 through 15. For it was fitting that he, for, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the ones, the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, look at verse 10. There's this word. That, that's really important, especially for the book of Hebrews. It's the word that is translated the founder. The founder. You see that there? Now, this word, again, in the original language is the word archagos. And there, there's a lot of different uh, awesome translations of this word because it, it, it's, there's so many nuances to it. Um, it can be translated as author, can be translated as pioneer, right? Like last year, I, I, I went uh, to, with my kids to go to the IMAX theater, and we, we watched the uh, Lewis and Clark expedition, like, you know, with the IMAX and all that stuff going on. Incredible, right? But, but you're thinking about, like, like, the pioneers that just go out into uncharted territory. Scary stuff. 
scary stuff, right? And so we, we only got like a glimpse. Like IMAX doesn't do it justice. But you got these pioneers that are just going out there. And so pioneer, one commentator translated as champion. Or it can be translated as captain. The, the, the captain, the navigator of our salvation. Right? Some of us just get so hyped up about Avengers Endgame. We're like, yes, you know, like, and I just want you to picture for a minute like that battle scene, right? The battle scene, Thanos, who's just like this impossible character to destroy. And then you got Captain America just going out there, just battling, right? But here's the thing. Captain America needed backup. They were at the end of themselves, right? It's like they needed backup. But here's the thing. What this is telling us is that Jesus is the captain who didn't need backup. He didn't need backup. He actually went into the battle by himself. By himself. He's the fearless captain. The the description we get here is not a, a captain that sits on the sidelines, but he gets into the fight. He won't back down. He willingly puts himself in danger for the sake of those he protects. Now, why do you and I need a champion? Because verse 14 says, we have an enemy who has a power over us. Stronger than Thanos. All right, some of you are like, what? The infinity stone? What? No, yes. You see it? It says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You want to know that slavery that he's talking about here? It's the same thing that the author was writing about earlier. The slavery of death. The thought of my loved ones dying. The thing that I have to face as a reality for my own life. And it just puts us in bondage. It puts us in slavery. I thought this was a great insight from Timothy Keller. Here's what he says. Tolstoy, Camus, and a lot of these other greats in the, the last 100 or 150 years have said the human race will not admit the meaning of death. If death is it, if death is the end, everything you're doing is radically insignificant. Nothing makes any difference. We repress that fear of death. We repress the horror of death. Yet, though we repress it, we we still know it deep down that, say, Tolstoy and Camus and others. Do you know what that does to us? We're desperately trying to convince ourselves we count, we matter, things we do make a a difference. But they don't. Not if death is the end. We are in bondage politically and socially and culturally and psychologically and spiritually to the fear of death. And we don't know it. That's the greatest bondage of all. We don't even realize how handcuffed we are, how distorted we are, how affected we are. See, what did the fearless captain come to take care of? He came to take care of death. He came to destroy it. The thing that we don't want to face, the thing that keeps coming back again and again and again. 
ultimately it's been destroyed in Jesus. Does God care? Yes, he does. And lastly, it's, he's the protective brother. Look at verses 17 through 18. It says, therefore, he had to make his, be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, I, I am the oldest in my family, and so is my wife. We are number one oldest in the family. Here's the thing about oldest in the family. You have to experience everything first. Right, like you have to experience everything first and so you get to tell your siblings how it is for them. Right, like what, what they're going to get themselves into. I remember the first day of high school, I walked in. They said, um, one of my buddies, he, told, he tells me, um, this, they were trying to sell an ele- elevator pass over there. I was like, really? It's an elevator pass. So I go to my, my other friend who's actually older. I said, are they selling elevator passes? Like you have to get an elevator no, man, they don't sell elevator passes here. You know, like, one of those things. Like, it's just like, okay, cool. Like, check in my mind. I'll tell my brother, like, if they try to sell him an elevator pass, when he gets here, there's no elevator pass. But, um, you know, you, you just experience things first. And the thing that, that I love about the Bible is that it says that Jesus is the, the older brother. Right? Like, he's the one who, who experiences things for us. He's the one that, that navigates us and guides us through life. See, and, and, and the thing is, when, when, when my wife found out that we were having a boy, she, she, here's what she said. She says, man, his siblings are going to be so lucky because I always wanted an older brother. I always wanted an older brother. You ever felt like that? Maybe some of you first children, you're like, man, I wish I had an older sibling. But the thing we find out in Scripture is that we do. Is that in Jesus, he came so close and he says, I'll actually identify with them. So close that I'll call them family. See, how is Jesus the protective older brother? Well, there's two parts. The first one is this, that we need to know. We can see it here. It's, he's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you. Do you see this? It says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What is this word propitiation? Basically, he's saying he's going to make the, the payment for you. He's going to make the sacrifice for you. So think about that for a minute, that Jesus himself, it says that he, he was going to make the propitiation, the sacrifice for the sins of the people. So the sinless one wants to make a payment for the sinner. I was talking this week with a friend. We were reading through Philippians 1, 1 through 2. And one of the things it calls the believers is saints. It says you, you are saints. And we're like, let's stop on that for a minute. Do you see yourself as a saint? And we were like, that's really hard. Because earlier we were talking about our sins. 
And we talked about how embarrassing our sins are. How guilt-ridden and convicted we can be about our sins. But then the thought that God can look at you and me and say, you know what, I'm not embarrassed of you. Actually, when you're in Jesus, you're a saint. For us, we just thought that is revolutionary. To, to think that God could look at you, not in the way that you look at yourself. Because some of you, you look in the mirror and you say, I'm embarrassed of myself. I'm embarrassed of the person that I am. But when you're in Jesus, you're forgiven. He's already made the sacrifice. And so what you find is that there's a protective brother who says, no, I'm not ashamed of you. Your family. See, the, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, we just like skip over it. Like too many names, right? Like just the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Do you know why it's so important? It's because in that genealogy of Jesus, the family of Jesus, there are names in there that you would say, how did they get there? And then if we really know our Bible, you would say, how did all of them get there? Right? Like how, we've been looking at Abraham. And all, like how did they all get there? Jesus. That's it. Jesus, the substitute, the protective older brother who comes in and says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you family. Charles Spurgeon said something that I think is interesting. He says, the Christ whose gospel we preach is no unapproachable philosopher. The ignorant and the illiterate may find in him their best friend. To think that, that he doesn't just put up with me, but he loves me. And he wants to be with me so much that he'd call me family. Right? That's who Jesus is. And lastly, that he willingly helps us. Verse 18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How do we know that God cares? Because in Jesus, we have a humble king, a fearless captain, and this protective brother. That it says that even when we're tempted, like he's already gone through it and he's saying, okay, I'm going to tell you the way to get out. I'm, I'm going to tell you the path. It's not just God up there telling us these things, but he's saying, no, I've actually experienced it. It says that he's experienced the temptation. And he cares so much that he wants to navigate you through life. Does God care? When we look at Jesus, when we think on Jesus, we see that he does. It brings it down to earth for us. And so how does Jesus help us? I want to give you two quick takeaways as we finish up today. It's this. In him we have hope and suffering. Hope and suffering. Some of you right now, you've been going through difficult times. It's like one thing after the next, after the next. You're just suffering time and time again. And let's be honest. At some levels, we want to distance ourselves from suffering. We want to distance ourselves from it. But what I found as a Christian is that it's in those places that God meets us. It's in those places that I pray more than I ever pray. 
It's in those places that I, I, I experience his grace and find his goodness and who he is in ways that I never would have experienced if everything was going great. Right? We don't want suffering to come into our lives. But what we see is that God uses suffering to shape us to become more like Jesus. Because it says that Jesus himself, through suffering, brought us salvation. There's this quote in A Grief Unveiled. Gregory Floyd says, This is what is compelling about the cross. It's two aspects of suffering and glory. Christ Christ suffered in the extreme for us. And by his suffering, he assured that two things will happen in our suffering. First, it will have meaning when linked through prayer to the cross. Some of you think that, that your suffering right now is meaningless. And yeah, if there's no God and, and this is just this world that we're living in, sure, there probably isn't. But to know that God, through the cross, can say that, you know what? Even in my suffering, God can still work. God can still do something because of the cross. Second, it will be over. A better day is coming. New heavens and new earth, new bodies, unbent, unbroken, unstained by tears. This is our hope. We are not meant for death and sorrow, but for life and joy. To know like, yeah, I'm going to go through difficult things. I'm going to go through suffering, but I can know that God cares about me. And that at the end of the day, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Right? What did the disciples think as they stood in front of the, 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 the tomb of Jesus? Right? They left him at the cross. They thought the story was done. But it wasn't. Because what we found is that three days later, he raises from the dead. There is hope through suffering. And to know that God wants to do that in our lives through the suffering that we face, through the cross, there's resurrection, through Christ. Second takeaway is this, someone who truly knows me. We have, you know, this, this hope in suffering, right? It's, it's God can use this, God can work in our lives, but then there's someone who truly knows me. Right? Some of our biggest struggles sometimes as we are going through difficulties and struggles in this world is we think, okay, no one understands me right now. No one gets me. Like even as I try to explain it, being married 13 years, almost 14 years, my wife loves me more than any person has in my life. But here's the thing I know, and we talked about this. There are times where she just doesn't understand me. She just doesn't understand me. And so the only one, if she can't fully understand me, and I don't even fully understand myself, is that God could understand me and know me. You see, Psalm 139, 1 through 6 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
to know that in your suffering, you can hold on to the fact that God knows you. And he cares. Even when other people don't understand you and even when you don't even understand you, you can put your hope and trust that someone really does know you. It's God. There's an old hymn that was written in 1901 called Does Jesus Care When My Heart Is Pained? Here's the words. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. He cares. He cares so much that he came. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 says this about his life. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as for one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's how we know it's true. And that's what I encourage you to hold on to. Even in those moments where you're suffering and you just don't know where to go. Hold on to and see in your mind's eye the humble king who is that fearless captain and that protective brother who loves you. Hold on to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're, just not, you're, you're not just God up there, but you're the, the God who came down here. And that you took on flesh. And that's not something that we, we just celebrate in December, during Advent season, during Christmas time. It's something that is just a reality that should just be mind-blowing to us every single day. And the only thing that I have to, to really hold on to when I'm struggling with the, the question, does God care, do you care about me, is that you are willing to go to the end for me. And so I pray that if there's anyone here who's struggling and they feel that emptiness, that they'll find hope in Christ today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.